Hi, and welcome to episode four of Insecurity. My name is Matt. And my name is Max. And we're here today to talk about networking. But before we do a couple of quick notes, there was a bit of a tease last week with some uh, hardware that I'm waiting on. I'm still trying to get that. As always, we are trying to improve the, the quality of the show. Unfortunately, shipping has delayed mine. So we're waiting on that. If you do have any comments or anything, please don't hesitate to give us feedback. You can send email to feedback at in-security.org. You can check out our website at in-security.org. And you can follow along on the show notes for this episode, which will be posted up. Don't worry, soon Matt will sound as good as I do. <laughs> someday, someday. How you doing this week, buddy? I'm doing really good. How are you? Actually, that's a complete great. lie. I, uh, I've i got a cold and, uh, you know, man cold. A man cold? Yeah, a man cold. So I'm trying to nurse myself better using some old school herbal remedies that I've learned along the way. <laughs> um, how many herbs might there be involved in that? I have no idea. How many herbs are there in Jägermeister? I think it says something like 42. That's how many. Hmm. I've been fighting the same cold for like three weeks now, and I don't know what it is. I've had this really pesky cough, and that's quite about it. Mm. So I've just been coughing pointlessly. I think I'm getting better. I I have been sleeping as much as I can, so at least six hours a night. And yeah, just trying to have honey on the throat and water and other good stuff get better. Well, hopefully you're not too sick to try and cover networking this week. Let's give it a shot. Let's give it a go. Networking. It's a trap! <laughs> oh, I'm leaving that in. That's not getting edited out. Before we go too deep into uh, networking, I just want to go back and say that there's something I intended to say about uh, last episode. A couple um, little features of protection that people have put in to address both buffer overflows and race conditions. And so the modern CPUs as of maybe, I don't know, five or six years ago, they thought, hey, wouldn't it be a good idea if instead of letting people overwrite information uh, for the data segment, we could say this, this segment of information for the variables, like the data segment uh, where it's not executable code, we can put a little flag in the CPU, a little register there that says a one or a zero, is this piece of instruction executable or is it a, a non-executable bit of just data? And so they, they've they added something called an NX flag, which stands for non-executable. And they, they give people the ability to put that in for variables to say, don't execute this. Problem with that is it's a bit in the register someone knows that it's there they just overwrite that piece of, of registry say set the nx bit to off because i want this to execute so pretend that it's a, a non-executable piece of code tell the computer it's non-executable and then simply write in something that actually is executable yeah it's a it's a little bit of that reverse logic where it's like a not not executable right so if the nx bit is set to one then it's saying this piece of code is not a executable and if it's set to zero then the piece of code is executable man it sounds so weird executable which is the right way to say it is it executable executable i think think it's it's executable executable. Mm. or executable as you say 
Uh, I meant to say executable. Well, I've been saying it wrong the whole time. Executable. All right. And then there's the whole other thing about a race condition. If you know that you're going to use a resource, uh, the proper way to code for that use of the resource is to put in something called a semaphore, which is basically a reserved kind of button saying, nobody else can use this. I'm in the middle of using this. And so if you set a semaphore in the code saying like this file can't be written to at the same time as me, this print queue can't be written to at the same time as me, then you can um, get around that whole race condition saying uh, protecting, protecting that resource for yourself and being selfish about it. Um, of course, there's the potential to deny other people the use of that resource, which is not a great thing either. If you don't ever clear that semaphore, that, that toggle switch saying this is reserved for me. So again, as an example, you'd be uh, a, a place where that could fail would be if you forget to close it out. And if we go back to our printer example before uh, from the last show, so you tell it, hey, okay, so I'm going to be printing. No one else can send anything through the printer. And then you forget to turn it off. Um, your printer is essentially defunct until. Yep, that's right. What, like it gets turned off. Well, I guess the printer is the bad example since they never really work properly anyway. <laughs> yeah, I can't ever figure out how to set them up right. But uh, the semaphore, it's used in all sorts of things where resources are required. If you have to get a hold on that, um, the example that's probably better is actually like if I'm writing to a file and doing an update on it, I want to uh, reserve that for myself um, and not let somebody else write something in before me so that they could put something malicious in there. Cool. So good housekeeping. NX bits and semaphores. All right. So networking. The whole concept is that one computer is is not really capable of doing that much interesting stuff all on its own, right? So we need to communicate just like uh, in society. Like we don't want to just be alone and do our own thing. We want to communicate and participate and interact and that's where the real power of humanity comes from otherwise we'd have just gotten stomped out of existence through evolution makes sense it does sorry i'm laughing um yes a network networking and it's not just in computers we have that the the social expression of networking is basically just communicating with a bunch of other people spreading information sharing information without that it's just uh just a closed system. So uh, the whole concept from a security point of view I have from my experience as a, a, a parent, um, my first daughter, I noticed that when she was first born, you know, there was very little that I could do as a father uh, that really had any sort of impact on her. She was just kind of figuring out how her fingers worked, how her, her body moved there was not a lot of interaction with the world around her. Then she started to notice people coming in and out. And I think at some level, there's, there's a dependence on a child to recognize, you know, the mother as the provider of milk for her and, you know, other things that might harm them. They'll kind of flinch from or scream, but it's mostly, you know, you're in my field of view. Okay. Now I can see you. You're out of my field of view. You're out of existence. You just, you just don't exist to me. Then they start remembering people and start seeing them come and go. 
then there's a phase that they go through where they, where they start remembering people and you know start recognizing, smiling, reaching out, making sounds to the people that they recognize. Then as they get much older, um, they start seeing there's other people as they go out and about that they don't recognize. And they get this this stranger danger feeling that they just, you know, they know innately that this person has not been around them before and they don't really know how to react around this person. But, you know, over time, they, they're around enough other people. They start to just trust people. Um, and that stranger danger sensation kind of goes away. And then they realize that when they start getting to the schoolyard, you know, people want to have friends and play games with them. And then other times they just won't need them. So they'll have, uh, they'll, they'll see this kind of structure of them in somebody else's perspective, needing them for things and abusing them for what they want. Um, but, but not always giving back equally. And I think that's pretty analogous to the way computers interact and uh, with with other computers and and needing resources from them, and not giving back resources at times, and and someone who wants to actually exploit the system that's there in front of them for their own benefits without giving back. Are you saying that your daughter's not doing chores? She's not mowing the lawn and stuff yet. Like what? She just keeps taking, but she's not earning her keep. Well, in reality, she's seven, and and she does do her bit around dishes and whatnot, like bringing them to the sink. Uh, but no, she's them. too little to to do dishes uh, to do dishes properly or mow the lawn or have some other task yet. She's she's getting there. We're teaching her good. Is there is there really a too little to mow the lawn? Yeah, dang what, kids, don't like mow the lawn. Dangerous for them. Uh, can you give her like safety scissors? <laughs> I suppose I could. That's safety just scissors. Cruel. Go cut the lawn. I mean, it's not like. Kids don't have enough time on their hands to do this. Well, she's in school. She's starting to get homework now, which is uh, she's very excited about. Um, but yeah, so there's this whole sense of interaction, and and it before the time of networking these computers together, we did it manually, right? Every computer, pretty much back in the day, had a a floppy drive. Every computer nowadays basically has USB capabilities. So we have the ability to do this, uh, what's called sneaker net, because you just, the network is your sneaker. You take the file from one place onto a portable media, you bring it to another place, plug it in. It's ubiquitous enough that it's everywhere and it just works. Right. Now with something like this, you really don't have much to worry about insofar as, um, or at least you don't have as much to worry about, about, uh, vulnerabilities and stuff because really the only people that you would be getting information from are people that you immediately know or trust people that you directly are getting files from yeah this is like the physically communicable disease right you have to be touching the other person to get the the infection if there is such a thing that has been exposed to the the group um and yeah so there is this whole concept of viruses However, uh, there's this whole sense of, you know, it's not as readily spreadable because it's inconvenient to do so. It's, it's much less convenient than having these computers network together using these specialized pieces of hardware. I do think it's charming that you brought up the 
the virus type transmission thing because even if you're using sneaker net which is a term i've just learned and i'm going to glom onto because i love it um, if you're using something like that then really while you may trust the individual you don't necessarily know who they've been dealing with which is the same it goes back to the whole uh if you if you sleep with someone you're sleeping with all of their partners yeah yeah so the same thing uh in the computer space so you don't know who they've interacted with. You don't know if they've been clean. Uh, and you don't know what you can get through the interaction. But typically people don't think about this and the end justifies the mean and we're just trying to transfer information back and forth. I'm not going to ask you those questions as to, you know, who were your last partners? Have you ever had an infection before? Right. Um, so like I was saying, it's, it's really inconvenient to do this. It's very manually intensive and computers, for the most part, can do things a lot faster if we as humans just get out of their way and let them do that. So there's this concept of, of networking through these specialized devices like a modem or a network interface card that gets put into the system. And it allows them to do this, this connectivity between each other. And how do they communicate to each other? Well, they do it over this physical medium, like a wire that goes from the modem to the phone line or from your network card to the switch and then it in turn connects to another system over the phone line to an, uh, another modem or um, in the sense of a, a local network which is kind of the concept that we're going to talk about this time the uh, it goes from the my network card and my computer either directly to another computer over a special cable or to a switch then it goes from that switch to another computer. Um, so there's this physical medium that it has to go over. And then there's the special device in my computer. Of course, it's going to need the drivers that we talked about last time to know how to speak, um, how to handle this, this speech interaction. It's a lot more complicated than that. There's also, so whether it's going over like this twisted pair Ethernet cable or a fiber optic cable, or even nowadays it can go over the airwaves with wireless cards, right? And cell phones as well. It also needs a, a pattern for communication called a protocol. Right. We're used to protocols as humans. We have our own, right? So for example, like pretend I'm calling you on a telephone. Ring, 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 ring. Uh, call this place as Max. Uh, maybe I can just let it go to voicemail. Is that, is that what you're looking for? Because that's usually uh, I'm, what I I'm do. looking for a little bit more interaction, actually. Oh, cats. What about, uh, what, what about if I answered? Oh. Hey, Max. Hey, man. How's it going? I said that it's you. <laughs> oh, I'm doing great, That's buddy. fantastic. What are you up to? Uh, okay, that's really much. good. So uh, let's just end this right now. Bye. So in... Um, I miss you. <laughs> so it, it, in the communication sense, like there's a protocol, right? Somebody says, hello. It's like, okay, I'm listening. I've answered the phone. Then the next person talks. We have a greeting protocol within, you know, our society of how greetings should happen. Very Canadian. We always say, hey, how are you kind of thing, right? Um, and then talking over people isn't really acceptable. So these, right. these are the patterns that we have for, for just a telephone call. There's also patterns like that called protocols for network communication it has to be 
very formulated and rigorous because computers are very dumb. They can't really figure out what to do next if things aren't in the anticipated format. Another very important concept that's going to go hand in hand with this protocol thing is something called topology. And topology means the way in which the parts are laid out and connected together. So for a computer network topology, there's really three major ways of handling this layout and it structures the type of communication that happens on top of it. So the, the media, the physical connection piece, as well as the uh, architectural layout of these pieces are intertwined together. So the three major types of topologies are one's called a bus topology, and it's basically like your school bus. So you've got seats, people are assigned to the seats, the seats sit right off of the main alleyway, but say you had a really strict bus driver that wouldn't let you get out of your seat and only let you sit one person per seat, the only way you'd communicate back and forth is to yell this stuff out. So pretend everybody's got a megaphone. Everybody can hear what everybody else is saying. And then they just choose to ignore the stuff they don't want to listen to. So that's basically the, the bus topology. Then there's another topology called the ring topology. And the ring is basically um, pretend like you're in a classroom now. You've got to school off the bus. Now you're in the classroom and all of your desks are organized in like a square shape. And you want to pass a note to somebody on the other end of the class. So you take your note and you pass it to the person on your right, and they pass it to the person on the right. And so there's a, a one-way direction that goes along, and it's a complete circuit. So it goes all the way back around. So that's a, a ring topology. And this is, this is classically what's used for things like token ring, where the token is the thing that's being passed around in a circle. Um, and modern day, there's still uses of, of token ring, but there's a, a more modern take on it. And that's something called Fiber Distributed Data Interface, or FDDI, where it's actually got like two rings, one that goes around to the right, and then one that goes around to the left, and it's using fiber optic cables. So this like cable that's sheathed with glass inside that sends light through so it can be like as fast as the speed of light for sending information down the track um, and if one fails in one direction it's always got this backup direction to go it can go left instead on the separate track cool so far yeah now as you're passing this message along right everybody has the opportunity to pick open the message and see if it's for them and read what the content of the message are right still no secrets here so the next one that we're going to talk about is the star topology. And the star topology is, you know, like, like a telephone system. So uh, in your neighborhood, say, there's all of these houses and they're tied back. Pretend that they're all tied back to one central office. And that central office handles the communication between all of those lines off of the off of the star so it's almost like a, a spoke on a bike right with all these all these spokes going off to individual direction and there's that hub at the center connecting it all together so this is the star topology this is like ethernet that we use now which is what i'm going to talk about for the rest of the time for this podcast but it's really this is the type of communication that we use all the time and it's all concentrating to this one central source. Everybody has their own line going back there. 
Now, in the in the olden days, the uh, star topology for for the telephone system, everybody would receive a ring, but you had a distinctive ring for your house, right? So if it was three rings, maybe you know that that's for you. But if it's five rings, well, that's for John. You just don't pick up the phone when it's for John, because otherwise we're all listening to each other. As times progressed, people are trusting each other less. We now have this concept of, I'm going to go through this switch, this telephone switch, which is only going to connect our two lines together. And everybody else who doesn't need to participate in the conversation doesn't get notified. So now, if, if you're calling me, then it's my phone that rings and something connects us two together. Cool? Right. Yep. All right. And that one that only connects us two together, that's really the only way to have like a private conversation from people just passively eavesdropping. In all of the other topologies that we discussed, there could always be someone picking up the line and just listening in to see what's going on, even if it doesn't concern them. With Ethernet, however, there's still that capability. There is, and, and we'll get into it in a bit. But just the passive listening up and listening to it, if you're in a switched, managed switched network environment where there's something that is only connecting these two private segments together, that's where we get security. So right, right. There, are, there are other types of connecting these things together. Like if we're just a point-to-point line, a crossover cable connecting our two computers together, nobody can get in the way of that, right? They right. need like specialized technology to listen into the electrical signal that's going down the wire. So direct patch cable is probably the safest. Right, but then you're only talking about two systems talking together. So it's a trade-off for convenience versus you know usability and, and then security. Right. And then the other one, if you want to have like multiple participants, so like in, in a house or apartment, say you have a roommate, he has a computer, um, say you've got like a blu-ray player connected to the network as well all of these things are participating in the same network but you know they all need some some resources to share together so they would um they would connect through some sort of central device like a, a hub or a switch to be able to communicate with each other so a, a hub is just basically i'm going to send out everything I receive to everybody participating. And a switch is that one that goes, okay, I know that this is going to this location, so I'm going to send it that way. And I'm still not quite there yet, so I'm going to go um, on a little bit further um, about what Ethernet is. I'm going to go into a bit of a deep dive about how it works, and then we're going to see how, how it's capable of doing that, how a switch works to do those things. And then we'll see kind of some of the attacks against it. I have a good sense that things are about to get really heavy. Yeah. Dump, dump, dump. So these protocols for communicating, for pretty much everything that happens from a computer's networking perspective, this is really, really smart guys called the Internet Engineering Task Force. It's a conglomeration of people. And they they put together these engineering standards of how everything should be structured to communicate with everything else, be it the, the token ring or Ethernet, the different types of Ethernet, IP traffic, which synonymous with internet, all that stuff. 
So they have this uh, request for comments. Everybody can submit these uh, proposals to them that are called these comments. They'll evaluate it. They'll decide if it's a, it's a good thing to go forward with or whatnot. So one of the, well, actually it's several over the times because it's been revised so many times, but it's just Ethernet. So it's that special type of connector in the back of your machine, that network interface card that speaks Ethernet. The best I can think of is, you know, those old school cash registers where they would have like this vacuum tube that they could send this this money back to the the safe place if their cash register starts getting too much money. You ever seen that before? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So for anyone anyone who's not um old over thirty. <laughs> anyone who's not anywhere near our age, just think of uh Futurama. Yeah, yeah during the opening of Futurama, all those people are being traveled around in those same types of tubes. Essentially, you stand in it, and then a vacuum suction pulls you through, and it gets you directly to your destination with no stops in between. Yeah, I was thinking about Futurama. The problem with that analogy is they're not encased in a tube like the money is, right? Well, they're, that's just because then you wouldn't be able to see who's flying through it, and it wouldn't be as funny. It's true, but... it. So for this analogy, we need. Can you imagine the amount of suction necessary just to be able to pull a person through without the actual encasement? Mm -hmm. It would rip them apart. I'm pretty sure the guys who made Futurama thought about it, but then just decided to not put it in because it's not funny. Yeah, because you can't see them as well if they're encasing. True enough. So in in the vacuum tube thing for the money to get sucked through. They do have this encasing thing. And in the Ethernet analogy, an Ethernet frame, which is the single unit that goes through, is actually that encasing bit, right? It's got content inside. It's got the money inside it. But it's just this mechanism of transporting. It's this media to transport things through the physical link, which is the the twisted pair Ethernet cable or the fiber optic cable or whatever you're using to connect the strings and cans, right? But this, this logical thing that goes over it is called an Ethernet frame. And it's got a structure to it as it goes over. But it in itself contains another message inside of it. So it's something that I don't really want people to forget about because it's super important. All right. So fine then. 1930s called. They want your analogy back. What about a subway car? A subway car travels through a tunnel and it's got a bunch of different people inside it, but the whole encapsulation part is the car itself. Yeah, is that, that doesn't is really that work. something that people can understand? I, I suppose, but imagine that you needed, like in the way of the future, where we have electric self-driving cars that are only the size of one person, or maybe if it's somebody's really big, they need two cars to drive them through. Each of those cars is the is the the Ethernet packet, right? It can contain a portion of a larger message or a single message <laughs> like entirely on its own. <laughs> well, you got like, half a dude you know, in this car. One cheek in one car, one another cheek in the other car, right? Man, you got a weird future plan. <laughs> you got this really dystopian future where you've got half men traveling in um, electric cars. I. I I just say somebody might take up more than one car. Like, Wasn't that a Philip K. Dick novel? Do you have men travel in electric cars? <laughs> I am actually in the process of reading Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep right now. 
I was in the process of watching the movie yesterday. It didn't really have much to do with the book, but Blade Runner. Yeah, yeah. I'm, have you read the book? Uh, I have. Uh, I I just read the part where the the owl bit from the movies in the in the book. Right. Anyways, I digress. Yeah. So the concept is you can either contain fully within that frame the message embedded within it. Or you can use the frame to transmit multiple parts of another message, right? That it, that it needs multiple frames to transmit. But you'll never be in a scenario where you have one frame containing multiple different messages. So the subway analogy kind of breaks down because you have multiple people in there. And in reality, in an Ethernet frame, you can't have more than one. Oh, if we're going to play, let's pick on the analogy, why you got multiple dollar bills in your money vacuum tube. I think my analogy is better. I think people will understand it more. You can have multiple people in the same car. For instance, think of a subway that's transporting a band. You don't necessarily fit the entire band into one car. You can have different members of the band in different train cars Fine. but you'll never have two bands in the same car <laughs> what you might Are very well in some way anyways that's called right. stretching the analogy beyond the breaking point yeah, that's a it, it feels that's pretty a technical right term now. for you okay um so one cool thing about ethernet is that if two people are talking at the same time like on our phone call example that we did where i spoke over you purposefully or our podcast where you're trying to make sense and i'm interrupting there's actually a feature called carrier sense multiple access collision detection and what that means is i'll listen and then if nobody's talking i'll try to talk and if it just so happens that we've both made that decision at the same time we'll back off for a random amount of time and try again, most likely not being the same amount of time. So if you start talking because you've backed off for a shorter amount of time, I'll listen before I talk again and go, oh, someone's talking. I'm just going to wait till they're done. So the short version of that is CSMA, CD. It's really Or C-smacked. Sure. Uh, <laughs> it took me a second for that to sink in. Uh, but yeah, it, it's it's that thing that distinguishes ethernet from the other ones anyways it's not really super important it's just kind of kind of cool if somebody's blabbing then i'll just wait which could be kind of a term for denial of service if you just want to keep yapping then the other person can't get in to say anything Alrighty, what else is there ethernet because it's this frame thing it actually uses uh some of the information that's burnt burnt into the network card something called a mac address media access control address and that's actually, it's burnt in the chip. It's six bytes. It's usually represented in six different pairs of hexadecimal numbers, uh, which is the zero through F or zero. Yeah. Zero through F. Right. And, uh, and then, so you get a pair of those and then a semi, uh, colon separating the next pair, the next pair, the next pair. The first half of that number actually represents the um, manufacturer of it. So if I have like an Intel networking card, then the first set of codes would be an Intel code. Um, and then say you had something else like a D-Link or something, then your first 
three pairs of hex codes would be associated with D-Link. And then the other ones are supposed to be universally unique numbers. So the manufacturer, Intel, would start with, you know, 000001, 000002 as they print out these cards, burn these into these chips and circulate them. And then when they've exhausted all of them, they increase their manufacturer code that they've got the bulk of these for and then start doing the, the next set. Why this essentially results in every single MAC address being unique. Yeah, and in theory, it's supposed to be. The reality is um, you can kind of overwrite it uh, so it's not a, a super unique way. If you do happen to have to, because as the manufacturers kind of get rid of the old cards or think that they've been decommissioned, they might reassign the same MAC address to another card. And you could conceivably have two with the same in the same network. It's very improbable, but it would mean horrible things for network communication. Because in my same network segment, so in my house or in my office, in my local area network or LAN, they have to be unique. Well, again, going back to your phone analogy, that would essentially mean that someone calls your number your phone number, and then it goes over to multiple phones or multiple people. Yes, but if two people answer that thinking that it was for them, then it would just cause chaos. Yeah. So you can still have it going to multiple people by using this this hub, but the protocol states, hey, I'm only going to listen into the traffic that's for me because I'm not a bad guy. But bad, right. bad guys don't follow protocols. Hint, hint, spoiler alert. Two to the power of forty-eight. That's how many uh, how many different possible MAC addresses there would be. Yep, it's over two hundred trillion, which is possible to be unique, right? But when you start dedicating the square root of that to manufacturers and the square root of that to the other people, you you know you conceivably run out of these numbers. Right. All right. So then, as far as the the format of the frame that needs to be sent consistently to everyone else. Um, there is a pattern to it. The first thing is a preamble, which is a, a bunch of characters sent in a special sequence that warns people, hey, listen up, I'm sending a new frame. You gotta, you gotta see if it's for you, right? Then the next thing that gets sent in that frame, in that still all within the same frame, the next little bit of information in there is the destination MAC address. So is this for you? This is that six pairs of hexadecimal numbers. Then it's, who is it from? So my source, the source is me, right? So if I'm sending the information, it would be my MAC address that I'm sending it out of. And then it would have something called an ethernet type, which is saying what the content of the message is, what type of content is embedded within the payload of this information. Or in some messages, it's just the length of that's gonna be within that little padding area of the payload. Then it's the actual payload itself, which has to be above 64 bytes, and it has to be under 1500 bytes for it to be a valid message that's a standard ethernet frame. And then it's got something called a cyclic redundancy check, which is a mathematical checksum saying, when you receive this, if it's for you, do the math and see if it's been tampered with, if it if it got broken on the wire or anything like that. If the message, if the payload within that message is less than 64 bits, 
it also just assumes, hey, this message got screwed up somewhere along the way. This is a runt message and I'm not going to address it. And if it's above 1500 bytes, um, then it's going to say, this is a jumbo frame and either I've been specially configured to know how to handle jumbo frames or I can't, I can't deal with this and I'm just going to ignore it. So you're saying jumbo or jumble? Jumbo. Okay. That was a lot of information. Any of that unclear? That really was. Um, I feel like that was very clear, but I feel like uh, if anyone has experienced any kind of issues with that one, first off, go back, re-listen. Second off, follow along on the show notes. Uh, it'll make a lot more sense because I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to follow it along as I listen, and it's very difficult. Yeah. And, and it is, it's very technical. It's very difficult. There's references in the show notes to go and, and check out where people do a good description of this with pictures so that you can follow along and understand how these frames are set up and why it's important that they're set up this way is because people can abuse this because it has to do with how this media for sending all these other messages along the network go through. One thing to note is that there's a reserved address. So if you see FF colon FF colon FF colon FF colon FF colon FF, that's a specially reserved broadcast range. So all of the recipients, whether it's a switch network or not, because, hey, listen up, broadcast, this is for everybody to listen to, coming from me, the source, here's the message that I'm sending or uh, this type of message is coming and then the payloads, which is the, the sub message part of it, the, the money in the vacuum tube container that's going across, if you would. And then it says, you know, do this mathematical number to make sure that you received it properly. Alrighty. So now I'm going to, after I very deeply dived into the contents of an Ethernet frame, I'm going to gloss over IP because IP is what very commonly we contain within these Ethernet frames. And for the purpose of this conversation, we just need to have a little bit of background information as to how IP or internet protocol works from a packet perspective, which is what the version of a frame in, in IP is called. So an IP address, we have them on our computers, how we talk over the internet. In my house, we have a distinct reserved set of IP addresses. And the format is, um, it's actually a four byte number, but the way we represent it is uh, four clusters of up to three decimal numbers, ranging from zero to 255. So for instance, in my private network, in my house, my IP address might be 192.168.1.21. Within my network, within the network that is being commuted across, communicated across, the IP address has to be unique. Can't have a conflict because we'll run into the same problem with the MAC addresses on the Ethernet, where two people think that the message is for them. Right? And it causes all this problem, it just breaks the protocol. Uh, and the packet structure is a lot more complicated than the Ethernet frames, but some things to note are that it contains the version number, 
and the version number of the IP address that I just stated before, that's an IP version 4 IP address. There's a, a version 6 that's, you know, supposed to be taking over the internet and everybody's supposed to have unique uh, IP addresses. It's supposed to be more IP addresses than there are grains of sand on the earth, but the IP version 4 is limited to like 4.2 some billion IP addresses, which is less IP addresses than there are humans on the earth right now. We recognize this as a problem, but we have different ways of dealing with it. We keep saying that we've run out, and then there's all these big changes for big servers to go over to IPv6, but they still haven't. Mm-hmm. Also, my home has a uh, has a special IP address as well. Yeah, it's, it's one two seven point zero point zero point one. Yeah, so there's a a couple different reserved addresses that are non-routable. Um, routing is something of getting message from one area to another, which is really the topic of the next show. Oh come on, that was the nerdiest joke I've made so far this show. Sorry, I, I missed it. Did you say say it again? I said in my home I've got a a special IP address as well. One two seven point zero point zero point one. Ah, uh, see, I didn't even pick up on that. That's a great joke, Matt. <laughs> don't, don't pander to me. Don't be condescending. It just, just FYI for everybody in IPv4 language, that means myself. You're stating it's the accepted rule that 127.0.0.1 means locally, me, myself. I'm not sending this out over the wire. It's a special reserved address. So that was a great joke. <laughs> it wasn't. It was a nerdy joke. It was It was a great nerdy joke, I should say. Um, so other things that are very important about the packet structure, other than a version number, it also contains the source address, who it's from, right? Uh, who it's to, the destination address, and the payload. And there's a lot more content to it, but... Let's just settle in on that for, for right now, okay? How these two bridge together is you need to get from one to the other. So where a, an IP address is more like a you know, house mailing address and the MAC address is, is more a, a way that I can communicate to my, number, my neighbors, um, we need this way of bridging those two technologies together so that we know basically who the message is for and can communicate efficiently. And how we do this is there's a protocol called address resolution protocol. And it's the ethernet type for this is a dedicated ethernet type for ARP. ARP is short for address resolution protocol. And it actually, for the first time I'm communicating across to, to somebody else, the payload of the ARP message says, hey, I'm looking for IP address so-and-so. Who has IP address so-and-so? And that gets broadcasted out to every MAC address that's on the network using that FFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFF
saying I do. They capture my MAC address as a way of communicating back to me. And I capture the MAC address of the person saying I do within the source part of the reply so that I know how to communicate to Mr. X IP address over Y MAC address. Following me or not following me? Um, I'm following, but again, it's it's convoluted. Okay, so... I'm following. I'm just uh, absorbing. I'll, I'll try explaining it again then. The frame, the, the container that is being sent up the vacuum tube goes mm-hmm. to everybody. They all crack it open. Within it, they see a message saying, who's got IP address 192.168.1.3? Everybody who's not got that IP address throws the message away. The person who does have that IP address sends a message back to that person who sent the original message. They look at the vacuum tube and they say, oh, this came from this MAC address. They send it back to that MAC address as the destination. And they are now the source saying, hey, I've got IP address 192.168.1.3 right so now both people know who the other participant is from that communication on a mac address level so they actually store this information in this this cache that they have this this address resolution protocol this arp table that they maintain for a limited amount of time so that they don't ever have to do that broadcast again because broadcasting that message is super inefficient right so now I, know okay. who, now I know who I want to talk to for that IP address and I want to send them a message. So I just use their MAC address and say, hey, you know, this is for you. And no longer is this being broadcast to everybody. It's just a quick source, destination, IP content. And then it goes through the regular protocol stuff that it does that we'll explain later. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. Now, there's some problems with this setup. Those problems are, if I can, as a bad guy, get in first and say, I'm, I'm this IP address, I'm this IP address, I'm this IP address, and I'm this IP address. Whenever you want to talk to those IP addresses, send your message to my MAC address. So if I can preempt that before somebody populates their table, or once that table gets too old and needs to be recirculated, then I can effectively become the man in the middle for any communication that you want to have to them, which Great. which breaks that whole really good thing about a switched network, right? So if it's a hub, it's already going out to everybody. I don't really care about that. I don't need to... Actually, there might be a scenario where I'd want to be a man in the middle anyways, where I'd want to convince you that you have to take talk to me And then I'll talk to somebody else on your behalf so that I can get in the middle of this message and maybe undo the encryption that's going to happen over the top of it or whatnot, right? But this is a way of of becoming a man in the middle. There's another attack also that you could do, which is just to barf out all of this information onto the, the network. And some switches will actually just say, Look, I this I'm so confused. It, I'm just flustered. I can't figure out who's at what MAC address anymore. 
I can't be a switch. I'm just going to be a hub. I'm just going to send it to everybody. So then you're just able to do eavesdropping if you do all of this flooding first. Huh. Isn't there like, well, I don't know. I guess that's, if it's constantly just flooding the network, then wouldn't that be like any time the network tries to ask, it'll just automatically take your answer and just assume that you're the right one to go to? Uh, so so that's the um, that's ARP cache poisoning where I'm actually poisoning the ARP cache with somebody saying, okay, you want to talk to me for this stuff? But if I just flood okay. the network with all of this stuff, then nobody can keep track of this anymore and it's just it's just flooded and the switch that was supposed to be setting up this private line between the two people communicating is no longer doing that. They're just broadcasting every message that comes through the network to everybody else. So no right. longer am, am I just eavesdropping on you know one victim sending them through me i'm now eavesdropping on everybody who's participating in the network okay and you know how do we fix this well the more expensive switches in the enterprise scale um, have the ability to detect these kinds of floods and make sure that it's not reassigning a mac address to somebody else it's got like a persistent memory, even if a system wasn't on before. It can actually step in line of the packet and say, no, I'm not going to send this. You're not who you say you are. But yeah, those are those are much more expensive switches. Right. Usually not, not stuff you see in home class stuff. Usually like the expensive Cisco switches that you see in corporate networks. Right. So due to my cold and kind of the amount of time that we've spent on this stuff already. I think uh, I'm going to have to draw a line in the sand right now and uh, deal with the actual internetworking concepts of one network talking to another network uh, next week. I think that sounds uh, perfectly acceptable. Uh, I feel like we covered quite a bit of really good information so far uh, in part one of networking. Or as you like to call it, it's a trap. It's a trap. Awesome. All right. Well, as always, if anybody feels like we didn't clear up anything, if anyone wants to leave any comments or feedback, please don't hesitate to send us an email, feedback at in-security.org. You can also visit our site, visit the show notes, get a bunch of extra information from there. And then, yeah, if you have any questions or comments, we'll be able to do follow-up for that as well follow us on twitter at insecurity show uh anything you want to add max i know that this was a pretty intense episode i apologize for that next one's got to be too unfortunately it's just that these are the fundamentals for really communicating between systems people do abuse it all the time so it's something that you need to know if you want to protect your network for it but yeah thanks for listening let us know if we harped too much on stuff, if you liked kind of our little sidetrack interactions. Uh, just let us know at feedback at in-security.org. I feel like this was a, a an interesting and a an informative show. I think you put the fun in fundamentals. Woohoo! All right. You have yourself a good week. Thanks, man. You too. Thanks.